Hey, church family. I almost said it's uh, good to see you all, but I'm not seeing y'all right now. I'm seeing a bunch of empty chairs. And it, uh, it reminds me that uh, the church is not a building. Um, I was just thinking about that this week, that the church right now is not gathered, it's scattered. Um, you're at your homes right now, wherever you are, listening with your family, and um, just um, want to just say hello. I'm, I'm look, I miss you guys, uh, but, I, but as I look out in the chairs, I see, you know, I can see faces where people usually sit, you know, and certain families, or I just know where they are. And, um, and so it's just, uh, as, I'm, as, I'm give, as, I've, as I'm speaking, I just want to keep your faces in my mind. I almost made cardboard cutouts to put in all the chairs, but I didn't do that. Um, but I just wanted to start out. It's been a crazy, crazy uh, time, and I just want to start out just praising God. And so I want to read some Psalms. If you would just read them with me and praise God with me. Um, Psalm 45 and 46 to 47 says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved upright, uh, righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. We pray with me. Dear God, we, um, wherever we are, wherever we're listening to this, whatever time of day, Lord, we all are your people and we want to be still and know your God. That you're on your throne, that you're king, that you are ruling and reigning even now. You're, you're in control. Nothing takes you by surprise. You're our foundation, our strength, our refuge. And God, we just... Uh, we come before you um, in need and desperate, um, Lord, your people. And uh, we just thank you that you're God on your throne and we're not. 
And Lord, we trust you. And Lord, I just, I just, um, I pray that you would um, encourage us by your word, that you would um, speak through me. Um, Lord, let your voice uh, be heard the loudest. And um, God, just, just um, encourage us in this time of need. And we, um, we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I just read, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? This week we're beginning a new series on the kingdom of God. It's called He Reigns. I can't think of a better thing to talk about on the, on the heels of a, of a series of, on mission, where the mission of God is to spread his kingdom and bring more people into the kingdom. Um, I can't think of a better thing to talk about leading up to Easter, where God is coming and he's a king, and, and um, we look for, to Jesus as the king and he, his resurrection and his enthronement. And I can't think of a better uh, topic to talk about um, now in, in, in this world where, where things, are, things are crazy and, and people are um, not sure what's going on. The God is the king and he's reigning. It's, I can't think of something better to meditate on. And, and I've heard um, several times this past, in the past weeks, um, you know, when people are talking about this whole pandemic thing and they, they talk about the effects of it and then they say, but God is on his throne. God is on his throne. He reigns. And I was just wondering this week, like, what does that mean? Like, how does that, how does that encourage us? Um, how does that help um, that God is on his throne when maybe uh, we're sitting alone inside or when we are, um, have our job um, threatened to be lost or maybe even our loved ones um, are, are perishing um, right before our eyes? Um, maybe some of you saw the Realm post of Tim um, and his brother Joel, and we're praying for, for Joel and Tim and, and his family, the Cromley family, and, and um, you know, we're facing real things. And he, and, he, and he gave testimony, he prays that God is, God is a, a Savior, and he's trusting in his Savior. And um, so how does that comfort us now? What does that mean that God is on his throne? And first, as we go into the series, we're talking about kingdoms and kings and castles and, and uh, princesses, dragons, Mounted armies, it's not exactly the, the water cooler talk we're used to, you know, the parlance of our day, um, but it's the language of the Bible. Uh, the Bible talks about kingdoms and kings and, and princesses, and maybe you, you, when you were a kid, you didn't, maybe you played as a princess when you were a girl, like dressed up and twirling around, or maybe you were like, like me, I was in the backyard with my baseball bat, pretending it was a sword, killing many, many bad guys in my backyard, many bad knights and dragons and stuff. Or maybe you weren't captivated by all that. Uh, maybe Lord of the Rings and Narnia is not your favorite thing. But it's the language of the Bible. Uh, the Bible uses this language of kingdoms and, and, and palaces and castles and, and princes and all that. And so we, we want to try to get our minds and our thought inside the authors of the Bible and what they were talking about. Um, and, and so start, starting this morning, the series, we're trying to get our heads into that space. The kingdom and the king that he reigns. And so we're going to go look at God's kingdom at a very high level um, today um, and a supersonic flyover of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. We're going to be all over the place and we're just going to take a, we're just going to skip along the surface because it's one of those themes that's like runs all the way through the Bible. But I think it will be blessed when we do it. And then next week, it'll just be part two of this, of this uh, message. Really, we'll fly lower and slower into New, New Testament. Um, and that, that'll be leading to Jesus and, and Easter and so on. 
we're going to try to take this high-level supersonic trip by stopping a few places um, in the Old Testament, and um, we're going to ask five basic questions um, as, we, as we stop in these places. And the first question we're going to ask is, what is God's design for his kingdom? And, what is, and then the second question is, what is man's design for his kingdom? Number three, what makes all the difference between those two? Number four, what is the result? And then number five, what is the hope we see in these passages? So the first stop is going to be in Genesis. And, and I'm going to be flipping through a lot of verses. And so the beauty of this being recorded is, is you hear me call out a passage, you can just hit pause and then find it and then hit play. And then you can read along with me. But Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we're going to read there. It's our first stop on this journey. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then chapter 2, 7 through 10. These are familiar words, but just listen to them afresh uh, right now. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And then finally, chapter 3, 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So even though this text doesn't explicitly say God is king, and it doesn't explicitly talk about his kingdom or him setting up his kingdom, I would contend that, in fact, that is what's going on. That's what it's saying. Um, in the ancient Near East, Israel and the surrounding countries, 2,000 years ago and plus 4,000 years ago, kings would dwell on mountains. They would build their palaces on high places, and they'd build gardens, and they'd put statues of themselves everywhere. And uh, that's what kings did um, back then. And that's where kings reigned. And, and they would set up their statues to say, this is where I am. This, this, is, this, is, this is my place. And um, for example, maybe you've heard of the, one of the ancient wonders of the world, the, ba- the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It's, just, it's a high place with gardens and it's where the king lived. Um, that's what we see in the first pages of the Bible. God setting up his kingdom where he dwelt on the earth on high. We see a garden called Eden. It's God's garden. We see that it was on a mountain or high place because there were rivers flowing out of it. You know, uh, rivers need elevation to flow out. So we see a river flowing out of the garden to water the earth. And, and then you see, uh, the, instead, of, instead of him placing stone images of himself, he, he puts people on the earth and they're his image. They're his image representing him. And, and made in the image of God doesn't just mean, you know, um, having shared attributes. Or it doesn't mean uh, that he looked like God in some way. Um, it means they represent him. It's a function, not just a description. You could think of it as a verb, like God made humans to image him, a verb, to represent him 
on the earth. And that's what that means. And then, then what were they to do? What, what, were their t- what was their task? They were gardeners. They grew the garden. They were expanding it. And, and it says in, in 28, 128, to rule and subdue and have dominion. Those are kingly, royal words. And so they were to expand the garden and make the most of it, to develop it, and so on. And on top of all that, we see in chapter 3, we read that he, God, the king, dwelt with them. He walked among them. He hung out with the humans. So here at our first stop, what are, our question, what are the answers to our questions? The first question was, is, is, what is God's design? What do we see as God's design for his kingdom? When God's kingdom... The king lives with the commoners. He doesn't want to live separately on some high hill while he watches from above. He wants afternoon walks with them. He wants them on the hill with him. And then, and then in, in God, in his kingdom, he, he wants the commoners and he wants to make them royalty. He doesn't just leave them down there, but he shares, he shares um, work with them. He shares ruling with him. He wants sons and daughters to represent him, to work with him, to build, to expand the kingdom. And Adam and Eve were, were God's children in the sense that he brought them into being and he brought them to life. He was a father to them. That's the beautiful, blissful innocence we see in the beginning pages of the Bible. God's garden kingdom up on his hill with them, walking with them, partnering with them as they cultivate and expand the garden, making the most out of it, developing it, representing him on earth. They trust him as their father and they don't know anything else. So that's God's design. What is man's design for the kingdom? Well, we see that later on, Genesis 3, 6 through 7. We can read that. Genesis 3, 6 through 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open, and then they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So in man's kingdom, we we don't like to share power. We don't like to share power. It's just us. We We want to rule. Um, That's what we see there. They didn't want to share power with God. Everyone knows the king doesn't live and share power with the commoners um, when when we think about kingdoms. The king's separate, and he rules. In man's kingdom, we're king and God is not. In man's kingdom, we know better. We don't like being innocent, and we want to prove ourselves. That's what we do. So number three, what makes all the difference between these two kingdoms? It's our third question. And I would submit to you trust. Trust makes the difference. So, you, so we see inter, in, a snake enters and he causes mistrust. His entire tactic is to cause doubt in, in God as a king. Uh, and he causes them to, to doubt be, and not be trusting children anymore, right? Casting doubt that the king really knows what's best for them. Did he really say, he asks, you won't really die when you eat of that tree? Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's knowing good and evil. For humans to live under God's rule and reign, the only way it works is implicit trust, full allegiance to God as king. That's the difference. And what's the result? Exile. 
God giving us what we want. That's exile. Trying to build our own thing without him, we get thorns and thistles. We get conflict. We get sweat, pain, and nothing is easy. Um, we get isolation. We get social distancing. That's what we get when we don't follow God as king. Number five, where's the hope though? There's hope here. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right? Yahweh God, the king, he promises there will be another human. There's going to be another one coming. Right? And one of Eve's offspring that will subdue the snake that Adam couldn't. Where Adam failed, a human will succeed in representing God. A human will succeed, a kingly representative. So that's our first stop. Let's fast forward to our second stop. God has graciously decided to not annihilate the whole world, right, uh, for, for, for man's trans, uh, treason against him. He chooses one nation, Israel, out of all the other nations to continue to build his kingdom on the earth through him. Yahweh God partners with Moses to deliver Israel out of the most corrupt human kingdom on earth, Egypt. God partners with Moses to lead them through the desert to the promised land, and they complain the whole way. You know the story. So much so that they don't get to go in, but only their innocent children can go in. And right before they enter, Moses is reminding the people who their true king is. It's God, it's Yahweh who brought them out of Egypt, reminding them. And then we read in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, here's this next stop in scripture. Moses, right before they get into the promised land, is describing what an earthly king should be. And I'll read this. Listen to this. Listen to these attributes. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord by God, his God by keeping all the words of this law, and so on. That's, that's what a king in partnership with Yahweh God, the king, the true king, looks like. So Moses lays it out. And then fast forward to the next stop. The younger, more innocent generation gets to go into the promised land 40, after 40 years of testing in the wilderness, in the desert. And at first it's good, right? Until that generation dies out and Israel stops following God as king again. And they have a miserable succession of increasingly worse leaders in the book of Judges. We can read about that. It gets worse and worse and it's a dismal display of not trusting in God. And the last verse of the book of Judges is, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes because as we've seen, that's how humans designed their kingdom. We do what's right in our own eyes. And then Samuel comes along. Some people say he was the last judge before the kings and he was maybe the first prophet. He comes along and uh, he, he says this, this is our next stop in 1 Samuel 8. And, the, king, and the, people, the people come to Samuel as their leader and this is what they say to him. All the elders of Israel gather together and they come to Samuel 
and said to him, Behold, you are old. That's a nice way to greet somebody. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a, a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to, to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to this. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing it to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so then that's what Samuel does. He, he warns them, and you can read about it in, in uh, the, next, the next verses, 10 through 18. And, and he says, basically, listen to this. 10 through 18, it says, okay, you can have a king, but this is how he's going to be. This is how he's going to be. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards. He will take the best of your servants. He will take your livestock. And verse 18 says, And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And then they're like, Okay, cool, we can live with that. We'll take it. So then they get Saul, the first king of Israel, who fails miserably. So, one of our questions is, so what, where do we see God's or man's design for kingdom again? Where do we see it here? It's the same thing as before. We don't share power. People don't share power with God. We're king and God is not. We know better. We want to prove ourselves. Israel wanted to prove themselves to all the other nations around them. And what makes the difference between God's kingdom and their kingdom? It's the same. It's a lack of trust. The people of Israel rejected God because they knew better. God was holding out on them. They wanted to be like other, other nations. God is not trustworthy. That's what they're saying to God. And what's the result? We'll see, we'll see in just a bit. And then David comes along, the next king of Israel. He's really great for a while. We know the story. He looks like he might be the promised king. He looks like he might be the snake crusher that's supposed to come. But then he fails miserably looking at images on the internet instead of uh, off to war. But God is gracious to him and says to him, 2 Samuel 7, 12, the next, the next stop, this is, a, this is a promise from God. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. So where's the hope? It's the same. Yahweh God promises a coming king to succeed where Adam failed. To succeed where Israel was failing. And then Solomon, David's son, comes along after a lot of strife in David's life. And Solomon might be the best candidate yet for a king. In, in Israel, right? He's he, for a snake-crushing king. I mean, he's the, I, I think of him as like the Tony Stark of the Bible. I mean, he has like all the riches. He has all the women. He has all the power. He has all the honor. And he has all this potential. He's a genius, billionaire, and uh, he's respected. And then it says he builds a house. Um, he builds his kingdom in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings 6, it says, you know, it looks like he's the guy. He's building God's house like it was just promised to David. He's building God's temple. And in, and in, and in 1 Kings 6, 
38, it, it takes him seven years to build the temple, it says. Seven years, that's pretty good. He's spending a lot of time building God's house. The very next verse, chapter 7, 1, says he, took, he, took, he built his own house. It took him 13 years. He, he built God's house for seven years. He built his own house. It took him 13 years because it was like a palace. I mean, marble everywhere, like huge statues of lions. I mean, it was like way over the top. He spent twice as much time in his own house. Then in chapter 10 through 11, he does the complete opposite of what Moses said a king should do. Moses said a king shouldn't acquire many horses. In 1 Kings 10, 26, he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Moses said, don't acquire many wives. 1 Kings eleven three 3 says Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I wonder if that, that qualified as many in Moses' eyes. Moses said, don't acquire much gold. And Solomon's yearly income was 666 talents of gold, which is the equivalent of $1.2 billion in today's market every year. Moses said the king should be a Bible nerd, right? A Bible nerd. Someone follows other gods. He should write the law, keep it with him. He was supposed to be a Bible nerd, but then no, Solomon, no, he follows other gods and acquires his own wisdom. So there's probably not a clearer example of how God's kingdom is the opposite of how man builds his kingdom, right? Even when God sets people up for success, I mean, nobody was set up for success like Solomon or Adam, and they both failed. They both failed. So what's the result? It's the same. Exile, right? Exile. The kingdom is divided after Solomon. Forty kings come and go in Israel's history. Only two of them get like a B plus. All the rest of them fail. Assyria and Babylon, two other evil kingdoms of the world, come in, take them away into exile. Take them away, just like Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden. And gives them what they want, life on their own terms not acknowledging God as their king. But the Old Testament ends on a happy note, on a, on a hopeful note. Our journey is almost over. Um, it ends on a hopeful note. There's a remnant of Israel that remains faithful to God as their king. And they actually do trust him as his, as, as, as his children. And there is still hope of a coming king, a snake crusher that will come and dwell with his people again, who will co-rule and expand his kingdom on earth and listen to this, Isaiah 52, a prophet looking out into the future, a coming king. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's the word gospel. That's where we get the word gospel, good news. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of of the Lord to Zion, the return of the king. That's the, where the Old Testament ends. It's hoping and longing for the return of God to come back, Yahweh God to come back as a king. And then finally, Zechariah 9.9. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In summary, God's design for his kingdom has never changed. He didn't have a plan B. It always, from the beginning, was to dwell with his people, co-rule, partner with them to build his kingdom. People's, people's design for their kingdom has not changed either. We want the throne. 
We want it. We know better. We want to build our own kingdom. The difference between the two is trust. The result is exile. There's only two options, trust and swear allegiance to God as our king, and then we, then we get to share in this kingdom, the blessing of the kingdom. Or don't trust him, build our own kingdom, sit on our own throne, and then end up in exile. And we may enjoy temporary power or freedom at that, at, at, in the beginning, but it always ends in exile. You by yourself on your throne with only yourself in your own misery to rule. That's how exile ends. There's no third kingdom option. There's not one where we get to rule and keep the garden. That doesn't work for the simple reason that we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're not good kings. We, we can't sustain it. We're really bad at being isolated kings. We're really bad at being by ourselves. We're not really good at this social distancing thing. We need people. And it's a lie that started in the garden and people still believe it today. So how about us today? Do we really believe that God is on his throne? Do we want him to be there? Do we trust that he can do it better than we can? It's possible that many of us might lose our jobs in the near future. It's possible that many of us might get sick. It's, pos it's possible that life as we know it will change for the near future, for the unforeseeable future. It's even possible that some of our loved ones may pass away. It's possible that we might. And we can do everything right. We can make all the right decisions. We can work our tails off. We can um, play by the rules and we can still lose our jobs. We can still lose our inheritance. We can still lose our house, our livelihood, our health, even our very lives, our loved ones. In short, in other words, today is like every other day we've ever lived. A day where something you didn't even see coming could infect the world to take everything down with it, turn the world upside down, a world where bulls turn into bears in the, in the market, a world like it's always been. All the days of our lives where God has been on his throne every day in this broken world. He reigns. Do you believe that? Maybe some of us are thinking, won't it be great when all this is over, we can go back to normal when this COVID-19 stuff is done and we can go hang out with our friends again and go out and, and hang out, you know, back when it was like we could take everything for granted again? You know, can we just go back where we could take everything for granted again? That's what we're saying. Where we can get what we want, when we want it, where we want it, when all the shelves are stocked with everything we want. Wouldn't that be great? But brothers and sisters, don't we want to live like every day is dependent upon God? Isn't that what we really want? That we actually need God every day so that we can survive that day. That we don't want, all want to live, I mean, don't we all want to live that way? That it's better to depend upon him for our livelihood each day, not take things for granted. Don't we want to live as if we need him to provide or else we lose our life? Don't we want... Um, him to, like, to need him to provide or we lose our jobs or need him to provide or we lose um, family members or need him to provide or we lose our health. Isn't that how we're supposed to live? There's a short prayer that was taught by a king a couple thousand years ago. Pretty familiar probably to some of us, to most of us. It's a prayer of implicit trust. 
It's a prayer that's meant to be prayed in the desert, in the wilderness, while waiting for the promised land. It's a prayer of hope. It's a kingdom prayer, a prayer to our king. And here's part of it. My, in my words, ad-libbed, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And may what you want to happen, happen on earth as it is in heaven. In the meantime, as we wait for the fullness of your kingdom and your will to be done, as we work with you to bring your kingdom to bear on earth, please give us today what we need. Enough bread for today, enough energy, enough uh, wisdom, enough faith, enough toilet paper um, to get us through this day. Because if you don't provide today all that we need, we die. We won't make it. We can't work for your kingdom unless you give us today what we need. Is that our prayer that Is that our prayer today? It's times like this we have to ask ourselves if we really believe what we say we do. Do we trust him, God, the king, to provide? Um, Back in 2009, I lost my job and I was in construction. I remember that, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and we were upside down in our home. And uh, I mean, I was already living paycheck to paycheck. uh, We were, and um, then I didn't have any paychecks coming. And I remember coming home that, that first night um, after I got laid off and told my family and my daughter's like, what are we going to do? And the words just kind of came out of my mouth. I, I said, I guess we're going to see if we believe what we say we believe, that God's a provider. And I remember praying every day with my, you know, every day, just God, give us our daily bread because didn't know where it was going to come from. And then when I uh, got my job back, I, I originally got my job, praise God, but it was almost like a bittersweet because there's a sweet time of trusting him, a sweet season of trusting him every day for our daily bread. And now, you know, oh now, dang, I have a job again. I'm going to forget that it's not my job that provides for me. It's kind of a bittersweet thing. It's, what, it's when Adam and Eve were innocent children in the garden, trusting in their king, that they knew peace. It's the children that got to enter the promised land because children trust their parents. And guess what? Our king who's on his throne right now is our father. We could trust him. It's times like these the Lord uses to remind us that it's not really our wise planning. It's not really our, our, um, that, that sustains us. It's not our retirement plans. It's not our work plans, our diet plans, our education plans, um, our career plans, um, they all hang in the balance of a microscopic organism that can take us out. It's our king. It's our king on the throne um, that, that, that's in control, right? And our king on the throne hasn't stopped this. He hasn't stopped it. Are we okay with that? Does he know what he's doing? I mean, does he know how this is going to rock our worlds? Can we trust him? I think God knows. And sometimes he knows that the best thing for us is to rock our worlds a little bit so we know that we can trust in him. Exile is to show us that his kingdom is better. The desert is a place of testing to trust in our king for deliverance, to trust that he knows better that he'll get us through and that the desert isn't forever. It's a place to remember that he's delivered us before and he can do it again. We were built for a garden. We were built to be with him. We were built to work with him, reign with him on earth as in heaven. And today we find ourselves in a desert, don't we? We find ourselves in a desert. Can he get us through it? Is he reigning? Yes, 
He is, absolutely. He's on his throne. The question is, do we trust our king? Do we trust him? And our trust is going to be tested in the coming weeks. It's going to be tested. Each day, maybe. Each day changes. You know, there's, a, there's the very first praise song in the Bible. It was a song sung in a desert. I'm going to close like I opened reading this, and you can praise with me. Um, it was a song sung in the desert by Moses. It was right after Israel escaped this powerful kingdom of Egypt, went through the waters. They're looking forward to the day when they be in the promised land. And it's the first song that talks about, it's the first place in the Bible that talks about God reigning as a king. The first praise song, Exodus 15. Just read with me, praise with me, and we'll close. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. The sea, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. Church family, just trust in God this week. He's on his throne. Have a great week. Lord willing, we'll see you soon.